Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. I do want to welcome you back to the final week of this series. We've really enjoyed taking time to talk about some things that can be building blocks in our personal lives. We've called it DNA, as well as those of you, so many of you that are new, want to greet those watching online as well. So many of you uh, just coming in to the Milestone family, it's given us an opportunity to share with you some of the things that we're passionate about, and we're going to close it out this weekend. And uh, I want to say how proud I am of so many of you. Uh, Fall is a season of engagement, and literally hundreds, thousands of you have decided to take a step and to be a part of small groups. And so many of you have engaged with our growth track. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, and I say, hey, have you gotten involved? Have you gotten connected in the growth track? And they say, look, I'm in 301, Pastor. Don't insult me, you know what I'm saying? Don't tell me to go to 101. I'm graduating, you know, so... I'm just proud of you for taking steps, and it's so awesome when we've come together and we are the church and we're growing in Christ, and so it's such a great season, so much happening, uh, freedom groups and things happening with our students, and uh, at the end of the message today, I'm going to share with you a story of why we do that. Why we would take the time to gather in that way, and so even everything I'm talking about today Uh, really overshadows what can happen really when we live out our lives in the way that Christ intended for us to live them out. I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles to turn with me to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. I'm going to put something on the screen as well. Colossians, the first chapter, we're going to look at some verses around verse 15 through 20 and we're going to look at a a a series of thoughts, but really one central theme that overshadows everything that has to do with this DNA series. Now, I know some of you have trekked along and you can follow those messages and go back and watch them, but some of you are new and so we have this on the screen, DNA, and, and you're thinking, is this biology class? What are we talking about? And so we're borrowing a metaphor and we have every week and we're looking at some things that are internal. Yes, it's a biological term. In fact, we're more fascinated with it than ever today. There's more and more new companies that want to tell us about our history, about our ancestry. In fact, I found a new one this week that, in fact, they use this image right here, and uh, they want to tell us about who we are and tell us about our ancestry. And this one, it, it builds on the concept, if you will, that we're made up of cells, and every cell has 23 pair of chromosomes and so they're painting for us these chromosomes and then those lines in there are the DNA strands that are unique to us and so they they say to us you can order the kit and then spit I know it's gross why do you spit because then they check your saliva for the DNA and then they'll send you back a report and then you can discover. You can discover where you come from. You can discover, maybe you'll discover some things you don't like. I don't know. They tell you they can get down to detail of what your taste buds are like. They can tell you if you like sweet or salty or if you're lactose intolerant and then you'd have to drink almond milk and we didn't know almonds produce milk. But anyway, we're going to have, 
We can learn about that. I think if they searched mine, you would find sriracha. Because I like it spicy. I like sweet and I like spicy. I think it's something about my personality because I'm sweet and spicy. I don't know. But anyway, it's like, man, it's amazing. You can look back on that. But, but what are we talking about? It's like there's these internal things. And I, I want everybody to understand this. These DNA traits can affect your life. And we're not trying to say, look, let us superimpose something on you. It's something that becomes part of who you are and you reproduce who you are. Speaking of food, I was the big kid at lunch, you know. I was kind of slow developing, you know, and I mean, I was like the big-headed big kid at lunch, you know, and I, I'd just get my tray there. I was like a buzzard on a high wire, you know, when I was a kid. I'd just be sitting there and I'd be waiting, you know, the lunch bell's about to ring. I'd be looking at everybody's food thinking, you going to eat that, you know? Uh, <clears throat> And usually they weren't, and so I would love it when I said, can I have it? They'd say, yes, I'd push my tray up there. Anybody remember those old trays? I'd be like, I'll take that and take that. I'll take that. There's not a lot I didn't like. It's good. My mom has a food blog. She's a cooking person, and man, it worked out great because I like to eat, amen? But, but one thing she would try to impose on me that wasn't in my DNA, just wasn't in there, is liver. How many of y'all eat liver in here? You, you need to get healed at the end of the service. You need to get in freedom ministry. Y'all hear what I'm saying? You need prayer, okay? So as a kid, I'd eat just about anything, but it's like, I'm not eating liver. You know, it's like a filter, isn't it? You know, it's like we're going to have a kidney or something. I mean, what else are we going to eat? She said, well, I'm going to smother it in onions. Well, that tells you right there, okay? I mean, well, we've got to smother it in onions. There's a problem. You say, what does all this food talk and taste buds and DNA and liver have anything to do with what we're talking about today? Well, I've said this for years. All the other DNAs, as we look at number eight, they're like a recipe for liver if you don't like it. You're never going to cook any of the other things if you don't get today. Today is the one that affects all of them. Today's the motivation for all of them. Today's where the desire comes to do life the way we've been talking about. Today is where we see what overarches and shadows and affects and influences every single part of what we're talking about and really more than that. I want to give you DNA number eight. It's very powerful and that is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Well, well, pastor, didn't we have seven other DNAs and don't we preach on other topics from the Bible? Y yes, but Jesus is the one who's connected to all of them. Jesus is where the motivation for all of them come from. Jesus is the one that even teaches us how to live all of them. Jesus is the model. Jesus plus nothing equals everything in our lives. And so some of you are like, man, what does that mean for my real life? Well, it means some very powerful things. Because Jesus, when you understand who he is, when you become personal with him, when you get a revelation of what he's really all about, not just some concept, not just some theory, not just some Sunday school answer, when Jesus becomes real to you, there's so much hope in that statement. There's so much hope in that statement because he's above it all. He's bigger than it all. If you're here today and you're facing a crisis, maybe this week, something out of nowhere, because that's the way life works. 
has come to you, a job situation, a kid situation, a circumstance has come your way and you're like, look, I'm trying to cope with this. Well, you may need to be reminded or told for the first time, Jesus is bigger than that. Jesus is above that. Maybe you're facing a challenge with a child. Jesus is above their teenage years. Jesus is above their 20s. Jesus is above everything that they're facing. Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. He's bigger than all of it. Maybe you're facing some just crazy thing, some terrible crisis. In fact, we had some children here on Friday night. You're serving our community every day here at Milestone, whether you know that or not. Friday night, we had children with life-threatening illnesses in our dream team and people serving, served them and took care of them, and, and it was just amazing. And, and I, I just, I heard from the team, and I, I, I just, I have a soft spot toward children. It's like, I can't really process that, Lord. Why would a child have a life-threatening illness? And I don't know if we'll ever know this side of heaven, but I do know this. Jesus is bigger than that if you're one of those families. Maybe you're just marginally dissatisfied. Maybe you're just walking through a season where you're just like, I thought there would be more. I thought I should have more. I thought I would be further by now. Maybe you're just a little discontent. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than all of that. He's, he's bigger if you're saying, look, pastor, I'm actually in a fantastic season. So many things are going good. I've, I've had some promotions. I've had some financial increase. I've, I've got some new things happening in my life. I, I'm actually in a, in a powerful time and it's amazing. And I'm just kind of looking around going, I can't believe all of this. He's bigger than that too. He's bigger than all of it. And that's where true hope is found in the reality that he is Lord of all of it. You say, Pastor, can you really say that? Well, that's why I wanna bring you to the book of Colossians chapter one, verse 15, because the reason I can say that is because of multiple places in this Bible that bring us back to Jesus, but this passage of scripture is called by theologians the Christological high point. You're like, where'd you learn that word? In seminary, that's a big word. Well, let's break it down. Christology, the study of Christ. Everything in this Bible comes back to Jesus Christ. I have for over 20 years preached and preached about Jesus and tried to make it about Jesus. But even in the last five years, even a greater revelation that even when you're preaching from the Old Testament, it leads back to Christ. Everything leads back to Jesus. Everything's filtered through Jesus. Everything about this book is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. So when you study Christ, there's multiple places we find Jesus here in all of it. But this set of passages is a high point. Now you're going to see a rhythmic nature to it a little bit. For those of you musical people, it's actually an early Christian hymn. These words right here as well, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let's see what it says to us as we think about how big is Jesus? You say he's over it all, he's over everything. Okay, how big is he? It says here, the Son. That's Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all all creation. You're going to see this word all everything over and over in this passage. It's a Greek word pas. It means again everything, all. All creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Now some of you are like, what does that mean? We don't talk a lot about thrones and powers. 
It's describing the highest thing that they can actually think about this church in Colossae. The highest thing, everything was ruled by thrones and authorities. Today, with our advancement of understanding and knowledge, we could even project into this because of the concept. This is bigger than the Milky Way. This is bigger than the space station. This is bigger than any kind of threat of nuclear attack. This is bigger than any government. This is bigger than any monarch. This is bigger than anything. This is bigger than anything we can possibly describe. Bigger than your boss. Bigger than any construct. Bigger than anything. He's saying Jesus is over all of it. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. You ever find yourself going, I'm just trying to hold it together. I'm just trying to hold it together. Well, guess what? Everything about our world today would splinter and bust apart if it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus is holding all of it. You ever feel like, man, our world is chaotic. You know who's holding it together? Jesus. Jesus is holding it together. Look what it says. He is before all things. In him, all things are held together, and he is the head of the body, the church. I have some people in our DNA, they're like, man, relationships, and the church, local church is the hope of the world. I thought it was all about Jesus. Met a guy last night, he said, this is the first time anyone's ever told me. He said, I've just been into Jesus and preaching Jesus, and I'm kind of evangelistic. You're the first time I've ever heard that I need to think about the church. I need to think about relationships, like that's important too. Well, look what it says here. It says here, he is the head of the body, the church. You can't separate the head from the body. Why do we talk about those relationships? Because Jesus is over that too. He's connected to it. He's the body, the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, there it is again, he might have supremacy. He might have the first place. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. You ever felt dissatisfied? I just don't feel full. I just don't feel content. What's the next thing? Where am I supposed to go? The fullness you're looking for is found in Jesus because he's the fullness that the Godhead dwells in and through him to reconcile to himself. Why? Because we are separate from God without Jesus. Why do we need to be reconciled? Why do we need to put the relationship back together? Because we're separate because of sin, but he's the one who brings us close to himself in all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so what do we see from this passage of scripture? We see that it's all about Jesus and that he's over it all. He created it all. He's holding it all together. And all of what you're looking for in life is found in him in him. And I love the fact that Jesus has the ability to go beyond even the four walls of a building. He's able to go beyond even technology. He's able to go beyond our limitations, our fears, our insecurities. He can go into our world at any place, at any time, in any circumstance, and in any situation. So I love to show you stories. And so right here, just to make this text come alive, I want to show you Callie's story Because in a moment where she didn't think she could hold it together, Jesus met her, yes, even in an elevator. In an elevator because he's over the elevators too. He's over all of it. Watch her story with me and let's come back and look at it in more detail.
I definitely had the facade while I was at work, but even more than that, I also had it around my family. Some of them knew what was going on, but most of my family didn't. My parents did, but they were the only ones at that time who knew what was going on. I wanted them to know that I could do it all on my own, so that facade was completely up. I didn't want them to see me with my guard down. He just gotten off the phone with my husband talking about different things that were in the divorce paperwork. Everything kind of wrapped up in this one moment, this one phone conversation. Emotions were heated, and as soon as I hung up with my husband, I felt a lot of the burden on my shoulders. I dropped to my knees because I knew that I couldn't do this alone. Just anxious and really in fear for what the future could be like. It was a difficult time. It was the next day or two at work and being like, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this day. And so I left work early and I was on the elevator and I just cried out for him to help me, for him to show me that you hear me, that you are alongside me, despite the valleys being so deep right now, that I know that we'll get through this together. And the elevator's doors opened and it's a peace that I've never felt before. When I walked off the elevator, that I literally just walked into Jesus' arms. I felt an embrace. I felt like someone was literally physically there and that they were hugging me. I knew in that moment that it was his way of telling me like, I've got you. I'm here with you. I'm alongside you. We will do this together. I was messaging back with one of my small group leaders and together over the phone, she led me praying and giving my life to Christ. That physicalness that I could feel from him showed me that he saw me, that he was there with me, and I was able to feel like I wasn't alone in this. Jesus to me means hope, that I've been created new in him, that my past doesn't define me, that it doesn't hold me back and that I am a new creation in him and I'm able to see the future with a completely different set of eyes. Jesus changed everything that day. Isn't that an awesome story? That's really what it's all about, the fact that Jesus comes into our everyday, Jesus comes into our world, and that just by a slightest turn, his direction to say, I don't understand my valley, he rushes down deep into that valley to meet us, even at our workplace in the middle of a situation, and then people who have a real encounter with that Jesus help her process that encounter, and they're just sharing the same Jesus that they love and that they walk with. And so you see the Colossians 1.15 passage come alive in everyday life on a consistent basis when you see how Jesus comes into our worlds. Every week we've taken a little deeper look. I'd like us to do that as well. And we've kind of had this pattern of let's understand it a little bit. Let's try to make it real. Let's not just look at the text, though the text is probably one of the richest texts on Jesus in the entire Bible. But it's like, how do we get that into our everyday? How do we make that real to us? And so I've talked about us understanding the distinctive. So see, it, see, it's not the word distinctive or understanding it for me is not just a conversation. 
It's not something just built on dialogue because 32 years ago, I met that Jesus. And have I been perfect? Have I made every right decision? Do I have the same fears, the same insecurities as you? I grew up around Jesus, that people loved Jesus, and I grew up in a place where people talked about Jesus and we colored pictures of Jesus. But 32 years ago, around my family dinner table, I received that Jesus. And just like you, I've kind of forgot how much he's over it all, and I forgot things and moved around, but you know what? He's my constant place of where I turn back to. Because see, he's not a concept to me. He's not a theory to me. He's not a religion to me. He's a person who I have a relationship with. And he's where I go because I know he's over it all. He's over it all. And that's why when I pray with people, and I have for 20 plus years, to get to know this Jesus, he wants to know you. I always say, I pray in that prayer, Jesus, as they repeat it back with me, I want you not just to become a Jesus, a Jesus people talk about, I want you to be my Jesus. So how you understand this is not some kind of concept of a distinctive the person Jesus Christ has to become distinctly real to you. He has to become real to you. And so the greatest question that you'll ever ask or ever answer is who is Jesus? Not where you go to church. I've said it for 15 years at every Discovery 101. I've missed just a few. Every single time I take a considerable amount of my little small limited time to say we need to answer a question. And the first question is not how do you govern your church and what kind of music do you sing and what do you do about this and what do you do about that. I've said directly to every person that's come to Milestone, I'd rather you know the answer to this question, and even if you don't like the answer to the other questions, this is the most important question. The most important question is not where you go to church. The most important question is not who you marry, but that's an important one, and if you made the choice, you're stuck, so just, you know, whatever. I don't know what to tell you, okay, but not where you go to school, not what your career is, but who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Yesterday, I looked at a guy who I've been building relationship with, risked the relationship, and looked at him because his thesis is Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a moral teacher. Jesus plays well with others, so Jesus is okay with whatever way you want to get to God, get to heaven, have the, the right things in your life. You can get it anyway, and Jesus is just kind of in there, just kind of refereeing everybody. I said, hold on, no, 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 no. You only have two options when it comes to Jesus. He's either a crazy guy or he is who he says that he was. He said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you only have two options. He said, Pastor, you should teach on religions. You should do a series on world religions because everybody today has all of this investigation of world religions and maybe one day I will and it would be interesting and I know a lot about world religions. But guess what? The knowledge of all the other options and world religions and they believe this and he did that and this is the historical facts about this. At the end of the day, it's still just a discussion. The real question comes back to who is Jesus? Is he the way? Is he the truth? Is he the life? Is he the one who's over it all? If he is, then he demands our whole life, our all. That's how you understand a little bit about who he is. And I will, I will tell you this, by the way, if you ever let him come in as your Jesus, you won't give him back. 
you'll never regret that decision. You say, Pastor, just so I can investigate it for a second a little bit more, and this is really for all of us, even those of us who have received Jesus, what happens? Because every week I've said, let's apply it personally. We have the text. We have the distinctive of that. We have the distinct statements of Jesus. But it's like, what happens when that becomes real to you? Because I want to know, what are the things that Jesus is doing as he becomes your Jesus? So let's apply it personally for a minute. The first thing that happens when you have a real relationship with Jesus is we are made right by Jesus. If you haven't asked this question, you will ask it at some point in your life. I don't know if it'll happen through a great amount of success that seems dissatisfying to you. I don't know if it'll happen with a tragedy. I don't know if it happens at the end of your days. But at some point, somewhere, somehow, you will say this, it just doesn't feel right. I don't feel right. I don't know why I don't feel right. Why are things not right? Well, the reason things are not right is that without Jesus, because he's over it all, and things that are disconnected from Jesus, and the way you were born into a not right condition, because you were born into a not right condition, no one had to teach you to not do right. Anybody got any kids? People go, I just don't believe, I believe people are basically born right. You've never had a two-year-old. You're just not right. And then it manifests in our lives. We disguise it with success and promotion and different things and move through life, stuff all our pain and problems and stuff. And then at some point we go, I'm not right. I'm not right. The question is not, are we not right? The question is, what do you do about it? And most people today, their idea is what you do about it is you try to make it right yourself. You know, it's like, what do I owe you, Jesus? Let me see what I can give you. Let me see what I can do. Let me try to get better. Let me learn this theory. Let me learn that concept. If I'll, if I'll do all of that, then, then I can kind of get myself cleaned up and right, only to find you can't do enough to get it right. You, you don't have enough to be able to do it. It reminds me of New Year's, 20-plus years ago, my wife and I, newly married, ministry, young pastors, we didn't have a lot of money. And our friend said, let's go out for New Year's. We lived a ways away. And so they said, let's go to Dallas for New Year's. Let's go for a special moment. Let's have a special dinner. And as we decided to go, then I figured out they were expecting us to pay. It's a great move. You should try it. So we're getting there, and there was a lot more that I didn't expect. We went to this nice restaurant, you know, and I thought it was like, you know, they, they had told me, you know, it's, it's an Italian restaurant, and it's New Year's, so it's kind of by the plate, you know, and it's, it's not real bad, you know, and so, you know, I'm always just about the, you know, we're together, and praise God, he'll work it out, and I get there, there's no menus, there's no pricing. You ever know you're headed toward a problem sometimes, and you're just like, you're trapped, you know? It's like there's no prices here, there's no... Okay, what, what, are, what, what are we, you know, but I was just like, okay, we'll enjoy it. And so we ate the Italian food and we had a great moment together. And, and, and then they, they brought out the bill. It was $480. 20 years ago, that was a lot of money. It's a lot of money today. And it was a whole lot of money for a poor young ministry couple. And the, the thing was, I didn't, I've never liked debt and I never liked paying, you know, charging stuff or whatever, but I did have a credit card. I think it had a $500 limit. And so I didn't want to wash dishes, you know, so I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to have to be in debt for this thing. And my buddy, he wasn't offering. So I just gave him my credit card. And when the waitress walked off, I started grabbing salt shakers, forks, <laughs> to-go box, please. Can we have, you know, 
we got to walk out with something to sell, you know, to pay this debt off. Well, we cut back a little bit, and over the next few months, we paid off the debt. We paid it off. Man, it was kind of like, whoa, how are we going to do this? $480. Most people think that's how it is with Jesus. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's too big a little bit, but you know what? I'll charge it now. I'll get it done. You need to hear this. You have a debt you can't pay. You can't pay it. You can't pay it. And so the whole life of Jesus is you can't make it right. So when he hung on a cross and said it is finished, he's saying, I'm making it right on your behalf. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's number two. Not only do we get made right, you go, what does it have to do with our everyday? Well, we are changing through Jesus. We're changing. The same thing you'll say one day, I don't feel right, everything doesn't look right. Here's another thing you will say one day, I need to change. You say, I've never said that. Well, let me tell you this, everybody around you is saying you need to change. Because if you don't believe you need to change, the people you love the most are looking at your life going, I need you to change. The problem's not do we need to change, the question is how. How do you really change? How do you have a real change? Well, it's not from the outside in, according to Jesus. It comes from the inside out, and it comes from him doing the changing. I know this is a hard concept for some of you. You're like, man, I thought we would get a few new ideas, and then I'll work those ideas into my life, and then things will change. It doesn't work that way. People that believe that, they get new ideas. They even come to church for years. Here's what happens when you believe that. You come to church, you get emotionally moved. At the end of the service, between you and God, you're doing all kind of penances and Hail Marys and Jesus, I hope everything works out. And you're praying big prayers. I commit, I promise. And by Wednesday, you're doing it worse than you were the week before. Because it's about you changing. Let me show you one of my favorite verses about how to change. I love it right here. Look at this. But we all with unveiled face... So in other words, we don't have a separation anymore. We can go right into the throne room of God when we meet Jesus. Behold as in a mirror. So we're looking at Jesus' reflection back to us, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Everybody say transformed. We're being transformed. What does that mean? We're changing. Every time we're looking at the image of Jesus, we're changing. Look what it says. From glory to glory. We're going from glory to glory, step to step, faith to faith, just as from ourselves. Does the changing come from ourselves? No, from the Lord, the Spirit. It's Jesus changing us. So some of you are like, I need to change. Just keep looking at Jesus. Just keep taking steps with Jesus. Just keep getting closer to Jesus. Just keep denying self-willpower and get Jesus' power involved in your life. And you'll look up one day and go, I'm different. How did this happen? I have a lot of kids at my house. And so we have backpacks. We have lunch deals, plastic things. We have meals. We have all kinds of things, backpacks. We have sports equipment. We have bags. And here's the deal. They leave that stuff in their lockers and stuff grows in those lunch deals. Stuff grows in those athletic bags. I was with my son this week. I went out to his car. Hey, buddy, what's up? I happened to be in the front yard, opened the back. A wardrobe fell out the back seat. It's just like a whole, whole wardrobe of clothes. I'm like, are you living in your truck now? You know what I'm saying? And so that stuff comes home. 
And we could take this. This is an image I've used for many years with people. A lot of people think, I need to dig the bad stuff out. Let me give you a different perspective. How do you change? When it's not you changing, it's Jesus changing. You just take that little lunch thing that had segmented different stuff and pudding that is rottening and, and all kinds of mold growing in it. And instead of going, let's dig all that out, my wife will just stick it in the sink and turn the faucet on. And the water just starts flushing it out. My son plays football. He brings this bag home. It has, it has like athletic sweat in it. It has biological issues in it. She'll just, before she does anything with it, she just takes it outside and just puts it out on the porch because Febreze can't help that. <laughs> Febreze doesn't work. That's covering it. Let me just tell you, you got some funk and some junk in your life that just spraying Febreze on it's not going to get rid of it. Jesus, the air and wind of his spirit, the water of his word, the, spirit, the power of his presence, it washes it out. Here's number three. We don't like to talk about it with great medical care and great high education and abilities. We don't like to think about the future that much, but all of us do. Here's another thing that comes that's hope in Jesus. We live forever in Jesus. We live forever in Jesus. Everyone contemplates at some point in their life, what happens after all this? I, I want to inform everybody of something that's very obvious. None of us get out of here alive. We don't get out of here alive. So we have to answer the question, what happens after all of this? After all the accolades, after all the sports events, after all the trophies, after all of the accomplishments, after all the bucket lists, what happens after that? Colossians, let's go back to it for a second and think about it. Colossians 1.15 starts with creation. Why does it start with creation? Because of the sin, the first human beings, death was entered into humanity. Because of sin, you will die from this physical life. But why does it end with Jesus' death on the cross? You know why it ends with that death? Because Jesus didn't come to make good people better. He came to make dead people come back to life. Come back to life in the here and now, and yes, even in eternity. In eternity. And by the way, that's in our hearts. No matter where you come from with your perspective of Jesus, there's something in all of us that again grapples with this. What is eternity like? Where does it, what, what happens? What happens after death? What, what is this thing called heaven that these preachers talk about? And people, it's all in the Bible. It's all part of Jesus' story. Did you notice in Colossians 1 in those passages? He's over the heavens. He's over all of that. He's over all of eternity. So it's one way I like to illustrate it is this way. I thought about it this week. Here's a picture right here. This is the BVI's. A friend of mine took me to the BVI's. Powerful, powerful place. By the way, how many of y'all are beach people? Raise your hand if you're a beach person. Come on. All right, my wife's a beach person. How many of y'all mountain people? I like the mountains, you know, because it's cold up there. I like it cool, you know. Some of you are like, man, it's cold in this church. Look, Jesus is over everything but the air at Milestone. Y'all know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's, he's, he got a little side caveat he gave me authority over. <laughs> but you know what all of us want when we see these images? Enjoy beautiful places with the people we love. Beautiful places with the people we love. 
You know why we talk about Jesus? You know why we worship Jesus, celebrate Jesus, share the message of Jesus? Because Jesus gives us the opportunity. Little small window we're living here. Little small thing. End of your days, there'll be two dates with a hyphen. Jesus gives us the opportunity to spend eternity in a beautiful place with the people we love. So when you begin to think about eternity, what hope is in Jesus? What hope is found in Jesus? You say, how do we live it together? Because every week we've said, well, man, that's powerful for my personal life. But like, where does that go? Where do, what, what do we do with that? Well, well, well here's the concept. It's a, it's a modern thought that, man, if that Jesus is so good, let's just add Jesus to what we're already doing. But consistently as we gather in small groups and we gather for worship services and we talk about Jesus, how we're going to live it together in every relationship, in every friendship, in the way we pray for, because you have somebody in your life right now, you want them to change and you're realizing very quickly you can't change them. Only Jesus can change them. Why do we pray for Jesus to open their eyes? Why do we do that? Because we don't believe we just add a little bit of Jesus. Let's just have our own world. We'll sprinkle a little Jesus. Jesus is the whole thing. And so he's the emphasis point. He's the worship point. He's the focal point. First time what I'm talking to you about right now, the message of Jesus was preached the Apostle Peter stood up after Jesus had died, rose from the dead. And many of these guys for this message, he was more than a, you don't give your life for a good moral teacher. Most of these guys that walked around with Jesus gave their lives because of the message that he gave. And he stood up and he just summed up his message right here in this passage. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ. He's not just the one who comes to save. He's the one who wants to be Lord of your everything. And so what that demands is a full surrender of our lives because that's who he is. They didn't say, do we have to get baptized? Do we have to serve? Do we have to do? What do we have to do? No, no they, they themselves were not. They said, what, what should we do? Where, where do you want it? Okay, Jesus, if that's who you are and we've received you, what, what, what do we? And so that's the purest motivation. I want to show you one little snapshot of a text message you said I told you I'd come back to a story about how we live it together I want to set it up for you for a minute this is a, a man who had been in a small group a men's group and by the way don't take it for granted what we're seeing happen among young people and don't take it for granted that we're seeing we love students we love kids we love ladies we love everybody when you see men submitting themselves to Jesus it's a game changer the amount of men in these baptistry waters, because the Bible says over and over, you see these pictures, the whole household is changed when a man commits himself to Christ. The whole household. And we see it happen all the time. And so we have a lot of men's groups, and this is one from a men's group where there was a guy in that group for a year, and his wife and children had been praying for several years for his salvation. He comes and joins that group. I'm talking about bringing it all together. Jesus, head of the church, Jesus in relationship, Jesus everywhere, everything coming together. And here you have a guy before work coming together with some relationships. And this is the text he sent out to his group this week. Men, what a day it has been. I'm excited to say that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior this morning. This group has been very big for me, and the words each of you spoke over these past months have meant a lot. 
And I'm not a very emotional person, but I'm not ashamed to admit that tears of joy welled up in my eyes on more than one occasion during my drive to work. Look, you don't think Jesus is over at all. Men don't cry and they sure don't text their friends on and say, I've been bawling, brother. <laughs> what seemed like too big of a leap for so long was very easy in the moment and I'm very happy to have finally taken it. Thank you to all of you. And then the power of that was after this text, he went on a date with his wife and was able to share with her that her prayers had been answered. For her husband to come to know Christ so they can spend eternity in a beautiful place with people they love. Game changer. I like a little phrase he said there. I heard it a lot in years of ministry. It's a leap of faith. Did you see all his apprehension? I thought it'd be harder and I have to do the leap of faith. That's the way it is with Jesus. We could sit all day. We could sit till the end of our life and dialogue about all different things. At the end of the day, there's still a leap of faith. You have to just say, okay, Jesus, I'm in. I'm ready. And I want you to bow your heads with me. And some of you may be watching online or in this service. You need to take that leap of faith. You say, Pastor, will you help me take it? Really, it's more than my words. It's really very simple. It comes from your heart. You just simply say, Jesus, here I am. You know me. You know my hang-ups, you know my hurts, you know my mountains, you know my valleys, you, you know everything about me. You created me, Jesus, I know you know that. But I just, I want to take a leap of faith beyond my words. I, I, I want to confess you today as Lord, as my Savior, yes, my Jesus, but also Lord, I want to put you at the highest place in my life. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. And I believe you're real. So I receive you today as my personal Lord and Savior. Come into my life, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to let us know. Maybe you need to come to 101 after this and let us know. Maybe you need to come forward at the service. Maybe fill out a card so we can help you now with those next steps. And Father, I pray that you would help every person that prayed that prayer to get connected relationally so they can begin to grow in who you've called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 